CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, welcome back to Coindesk TV. You're watching the Hash here. We're going to get you up to speed on the day's news. And I'm Zach Seward, and I'm joined by Wendy O. Will Foxley and Anna Bidakova live in the New York studio. You'll love to see it. That is amazing. We'll get to her in a bit, but Will's going to start us off with the first story of the day. Will, take it. Happy Tuesday, guys. We got some bad news to start off the week. That's just how it goes. According to the BIS, if you bought Bitcoin last night, you probably are down bad, which is a pretty fair assumption. According to this new banking report that came out Monday, the BIS looked at a bunch of different exchanges, a bunch of different people who are buying Bitcoin across different jurisdictions across different income levels. I found out that most people who are minnows in the sea of Bitcoin and crypto probably sold and sold into losses last year while whales typically were gobbling up and selling these large ports for USD and we're okay. There's a few assumptions in here that we should definitely unpack. We'll get to those in a second. But I do want to get this headline over to Zach just to start because it is an interesting thing to see in terms of like crypto's adoption narrative, right? If we have a bad year, and prices go down, people take losses, kind of hurts the ability for people to want to buy in next time. And this number really looks rough. Zach, throw it up to you. Picking on me, I thought this would be a Wendy one. You know, Wendy's out here trading this stuff actively. You know, she's probably not losing, but I mean, sure, this is the BIS. The BIS (laughs) loves making headlines like this. They're out here saying crypto's bad. It's the small guys who are getting hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DeFi shady. I know we get it. So I'm having a hard time overcoming the messenger in this one. But I don't know. That's all I got. I'm going to toss this to Wendy. She's probably got more sophisticated trading thoughts on this. I think that we should take the I out of BIS and just leave it as BS in this particular case because <laughs> Bitcoin has outperformed quite a few traditional assets. And I talk about this all the time on my show. I look at my 401k when I had my nine to five, when I was working in healthcare, I was actively contributing. The amount that I had when I left in 2017 is the same that I had, if not lower. And the Bitcoin that I bought in 2017 is up significantly. So I understand their concern. I know they want to FUD our bag so they can continue to buy it at a discounted price. Um, But realistically, yes, we have had a bit of a rough patch, but that also can be attributed to lack of regulations from our public servants and lack of creating any sort of guidelines for people to operate, especially crypto exchanges in the United States of America. But I personally think that Bitcoin is going to be fine 
and those people who are actively investing and do have a trading or investing plan, they'll be okay too. I don't think there's an ulterior motive at foot. I mean, I think these are just raw markets, right? Like the markets tend toward, I guess, professionalization over time. And maybe that's what we're seeing here, right? Retail investors getting burned. Obviously, someone else in the market is potentially profiting. Maybe that's just the way these markets work. But hey, I don't know. I'm no economist. Or the data that they're presenting is skewed. Sorry, I had to say that. No worries. Sorry, I just wanted to note that there is one, uh, one more interesting thing about this BIS report that they uh, also underscore that it was the developing countries, that are not the richest countries in the world, that suffered most from the crypto, from the FTX collapse this year. And I think this part is kind of a useful reminder that crypto is a complicated industry, right? It's a complex industry, and at the same time, it's kind of lucrative, you know, the stories that your friends got crypto rich and you still haven't. I think it's a repeating and kind of worrisome stories that the most financially disempowered, maybe, and not the most financially savvy people, they get caught in between cycles and in big crashes like the FTX one. Yeah, I think that's some good points. And just to respond to what Wendy was saying, I think it does depend on like the numbers themselves, right? So BIS looking at this, they basically looked at the market in general. They picked a few different statistics in order to make this whole report. So they included like the number of people who had downloaded a Bitcoin application that allowed them to buy Bitcoin. They looked at exchange volumes during peak periods. And they came up with this rough estimation about, about how much money did an average retail user lose in terms of Bitcoin over 2022? And how much did a whale sell into that market? You know, it's fair to make those assumptions, but it doesn't really give you great data on a granular level. That being said, I think uh, it is important to note that this headline does ring true for many people. A lot of people did lose money last year. They lost their Bitcoin because they didn't know how to hold it. They sold into a down market because they were scared, or they swapped into another crypto asset that went down even further because they were unsure what to do with it. And I think that's just like sort of the walkway for me here is we all know that Bitcoin goes up and down. But for people who got into the market a little bit late and got burnt, we might not see them back for quite a while. And that just plays more into like this long cycle theory that Bitcoin comes around every four or five years because it takes a while for people to forget what happened during the last cycle. But we can leave that conversation there and move over to Wendy for the next story. I'm excited about this story. Are they NFTs? Are they ordinals? Are they digital collectibles? Are they intangible assets? We don't know. But Litecoin Network gets its first NFTs after developer forks Bitcoin ordinals. Before we get into the story, I do want to give the definition of a ordinal because people don't know and they seem to get them confused. And God forbid you give the incorrect definition or put it into your own words so it makes a little bit more sense. The Ordinal Protocol enables users to inscribe references to digital art into small transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain that creates Bitcoin-based NFTs. So the devs are forking to Bitcoin ordinals to give older POW networks like Litecoin their first set of NFTs. And this weekend, a Bitcoin a dev forked the code behind Bitcoin ordinals to the Litecoin blockchain. He placed a copy of the Litecoin Mimble Wimble upgrade white paper on the blockchain, making it the first Litecoin ordinal to be inscribed. This actually might be a good way to have Bitcoin ordinals that are not on the Bitcoin blockchain, because I know that there's a lot of arguing about that. And this is why I'm going to directly toss it to Will, because you're a lot more tech savvy than I am. Plus, I feel like you're half maxi, but not half maxi, but a little bit with some spice in there. I'm not sure. So go ahead and take this away. Give mm. us your thoughts on this. And don't come for me, anybody. Don't come for me. No, I'm coming for you right now. 
This is the classic Litecoin story. This is exactly what you expected to see. Litecoin takes an innovation from another chain, throws it on top of itself because it's all open source, and then makes a headline out of it. We've seen this time and time again. And you even like included it in that little statement there, Wendy. They talked about Mimblewimble. Mimblewimble was developed for another chain. Litecoin took that, built on top of itself, and then made another headline about it. This is a chain that has been around for quite a while. It's a legacy blockchain, a legacy token, but it's only survived on the back of Bitcoin. It has only survived on the back of Bitcoin innovation, which tells you that not a lot is going on because Bitcoin has innovations every few years. So really, this is just a backwater story to me. The real story is Bitcoin ordinals, which continue to show interest from many people out there. Like you said, Wendy, like a lot of people are upset if you get like the taxonomy wrong, right? If you get the definitions wrong, people really care about Bitcoin ordinals and they have like this competitiveness about it. That being said, like the volumes for Bitcoin ordinals and inscriptions are actually going down quite a bit right now. So we'll see if this kind of burns out completely, maybe just kind of flat lines, but Bitcoin inscriptions and ordinals, the conversation is somewhat moving on, even if the community is still pretty zealous. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Sir, you have me standing for Litecoin, which is pretty crazy because this isn't some <laughs> headline story. This is composability. This is the thing that we hear about with these open source oh. networks, right? You get these <laughs> protocols that can be forked, graphed, transposed onto entirely different networks. And that's the beauty of composability in crypto. And I think that's like, that's the story here to me is this is like open source, composability across chains. You mentioned Mimblewimble, right? That was from like some protocol I can't even remember launched with much fanfare back in like 2019. But the idea that you can sort of uh, mix and match these open source code bases and stick it on a chain to A, sort of capture some of the excitement that's happening on a bigger chain, and B, bring some functionality to a chain that, you're right, is a legacy chain. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I say composability story, not opportunistic marketing. And hey, ordinals are getting people pumped. So ain't no shame there. And I'm going to toss them to you. I wonder if there has been like at least a fraction of the same contention that happened in the Bitcoin community about ordinals, if even a fraction of that happened in the Litecoin, like if there was any controversy about what should uh, Litecoiners put NFTs on a blockchain at all, on Litecoin at all, because I know there has been like a fair share of Bitcoiners outright unhappy about the whole idea of like putting that extra data into Bitcoin blockchain and, uh, you know, maybe slowing down the network for people who just want to send money. But I haven't heard about like any fires discussions about that on the Litecoin community. Am I wrong? Yeah, I'd be surprised if you could find a Litecoin community, let alone an opinion on the subject. So I, I just feel like there's not much going on there. Sir, this is a Taco Tuesday. No, the, the Litecoin community is still around. And I feel like anytime somebody does something cool on chain or does anything with Litecoin, they get excited about it. Again, I like to see competition in the market, even if it's something that might not catch on. It's actually really cool to watch these people create and build. And it just shows you how great we are at problem solving in the crypto industry. And we just do cool stuff. Okay. Well, we'll just agree to disagree on this one about the state and health of the Litecoin community. That's it for the first half of the show here on The Hash. Leave my friends alone. That was some good stuff. Thanks so much. All right. Second half of the show, we're going to D.C. We're going to Supreme Court, where big tech is on trial, specifically Section 230 and what it means for the future of the Internet. We'll talk about that and more on the other side of this break. Stick with us. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain and Web3 startups, teams and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest 
powered by Google Cloud and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. And we're back. Hi, everyone. So uh, starting with slightly smaller news than the Supreme Court hearings in D.C. today. If anybody remembers the Tone blockchain and the whole story about it, something new and interesting happened today. For those who don't remember, Tone is a brainchild of Telegram, uh, crypto's favorite messenger. And Telegram once wanted to uh, launch its blockchain and cryptocurrency, but the SEC weighed in pretty quickly, so Telegram enforced it to abandon the project. However, Telegram never completely gave up on it, it seems. And now one of the developers' community picked it up and launched it on their own. Pavel Durov, CEO of Telegram, endorsed it. And now the tone functionality is even partially integrated into the Telegram Messenger. So what happened today, the developers roll out a voting mechanism, uh, a community voting mechanism for tone token holders. So now people who are holding these tokens can vote on policy proposals and Actually, the first voting already happened in the middle of February, but only for validators. Uh, Tone validators were voting to freeze about 200 inactive wallets on the Tone blockchain to give probably the token value a boost. And now ordinary users can vote on policy proposals too. The price didn't quite react on this news, but the volume of Tone increased by 98%, which, given Tone's small size, amounted to 40 million tokens. I wonder, you know, I've been following the Tone project for, for a long time at some point, but I wonder if anybody else in this room paid any attention to this news or think it's interesting. Well, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I got to give Telegram some love. Just like you said, Anna, it's like the crypto native messenger application. And why not throw a blockchain token on top of it? Of course, we've talked about this project a few times in the past. It's always been around how it's integrated with Telegram or if it's not integrated with Telegram. A lot of people want to see a native token with Telegram. So I'm able to send value and not just messages along with Telegram. That hasn't really come about yet because there's been a dissociation uh, or a delineation between Telegram and the Ton blockchain. Why? Because the SEC basically came along a few years ago and said, you can't have both here. You can't have value and send messages at the same time. So they split that up. And ever since, there's been this open source community building the ton blockchain, T-O-N. Of course, from like a price standpoint, we haven't really seen anything. We don't talk about prices too much on the show. We'll have to get Wendy's opinion on this in a second. There's a lot of volume here, which is probably like a good indicator, right? Like that more people are swapping these tokens, probably a lot more uh, interest in having this token because there's going to be some sort of governance scheme coming to the blockchain. But for right now, price isn't that hot. And just what it is, it's kind of surprising it's actually not very hot because Bitcoin's been doing pretty well lately. Wendy, throw it up to you to get some price talk here. Well, I'm actually excited that we have a valid utility. Well, I don't even know if it's a valid utility because I am not the SEC. But it is good that we're seeing a little bit of volume surge when it comes to this project because volume is important. If you don't have volume, then the chart won't look that great. But I think this is positive. I think it's good. And I'm excited that the project is still alive and kicking. I do remember way back when, do you guys remember the kick lawsuit? 
the messaging app that was kind of similar to Telegram, but it wasn't. The interesting thing about that is I remember finishing my my bachelor's in business and one of the professors I have, they forced us to use Kick for communication, which I thought it was the weirdest thing ever because I was in crypto at that time. And I'm like, what actually is this? So I'm glad to see that the SEC didn't stifle this project. People do use Telegram. So it's good to see that their token is getting some volume and hopefully people can get some nice gains. However, Bitcoin is having a little bit of trouble breaking above 25,000, I believe, and get a chance to look at the chart this morning. Um, but hopefully people are able to make some nice gains and use this utility token for good. Zach? It's the open network. That one's new to me. It used to be called the Telegram open network, but now it's the open network, further removing itself from Telegram and its involvement. So when you said there, Telegram has nothing to do with this, even though they initially developed this blockchain and this code. Nothing, nothing <laughs> wink, wink, nothing, even though one of the main wallets is native to Telegram. So there are sorts of cool functionality within Telegram where this makes it a bit more seamless. And of course, I remember editing all your ton coverage back in the day. And the kick and kin story, me and Will know that all too well. But it is some good stuff to see this finally sort of hit its stride, right? This was the dream, messenger native payments. And we saw it with Signal, we saw it with Telegram, we saw it with Facebook. And now this one is out here. They had to kind of backdoor their way in to get around that big time SEC violation. But now they are here and there's some price pumping. It's crazy to see. But got to give Anne the last word because she has indeed been following this for like five years. So the Tone project initially was super ambitious. You know, Telegram basically said, we're going to make, you know, the best cryptocurrency. We're going to take the best of all cryptos and build, you know, like the, the ultimate one, the most sophisticated, the most functional blockchain. And then it just all kind of ended. And then they were like, yeah, all these back channel movements. But now you can see that even though the network launched, like today we saw the 98 increase in volume, which only brought Ton to $40 million. And this just shows you how much the public figures and known authorities in crypto and how much importance they have. I could bet that if Telegram still had that direct relationship to Tone as it used, the numbers would be absolutely different. Like if there was, you know, like Pavel Durov's coin, the volume would be, I don't know, like maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it would be doing much better with that direct affiliation with Telegram. It's funny, you know, maybe except Bitcoin for any other blockchain, you know, known Celebrities, figures, and well-known people involvement is very important for the traction. I wanted to just chime in really quickly. I'm looking at um, CoinGecko right now, and I believe that Ton is currently ranked number 24 for market cap. Yeah. So yeah. that's a that's price isn't price isn't looking too terribly sexy, but that's good. All right, let's go to the Supreme Court, guys. Let's leave these coins behind. Let's go to the Supreme Court. Let's go big picture here. Let's talk about the future of the internet. Now, there's a case being heard right now in DC about Section 230, which basically treats internet publishers as sort of neutral platforms on which all the crazy people online can say whatever they want. And the publishers themselves, because they're not indicated as publishers as outlined by this 26-word section of the current law, they're not held liable for the stuff that is published on their platforms. So this is being contested in a case right now relating to an unfortunate incident a few years ago. And this could have major ramifications for how the internet is constructed going forward and how big tech giants like Google are viewed in the eyes of federal law. Now, why are we talking about this on the hash? Because obviously there's implications for Web3 here. 
The idea of neutral platforms is a big one in crypto, and this certainly deserves a bit of conversation. I'm going to throw this to Will. There might be a history corner in here, but Will, what is your thought on this big tech case <laughs> up in the Supreme Court? Yeah, I wish we actually had Jen on the show. Just like talk about the, the lawyer angle here, because that's actually what we really need. You don't need a history corner for me, Zach. You need the legal angle here, which we don't have today. That being said, there is a little bit of history stuff that we can talk about. And that is just like how we think about the ability to speak in the United States, which is really like where this case is being decided, right? In the Supreme Court, how do we talk about each other? How do we talk online? How do we communicate information to each other? And we always think about the First Amendment. I can say whatever I want. Not really the case, right? There's tons of different precedents within court cases and tons of different precedent within the ability to speak freely within like a private enterprise, being able to speak freely in public being able to speak freely in government. There's lots of different ways where you can be censored and you can't say whatever you want. When it comes to the internet, that only becomes a little bit more tricky, right? Because I have the ability to amplify anything I want to say to so many different people. And some of those things are horrible things. Just like we saw in the Supreme Court case, there was an incident where uh, YouTube was allowing some video work from terrorist organizations to be populated and people were boosting that information. And in this case, they're saying that that led to more acts of radical terrorism which obviously no one is a proponent of. But if these are going to be platforms for communication, can't necessarily hold someone liable for being a third party here. You can only hold the person responsible who is issuing that content. Supreme Court case here is deciding if that is the case or not. As for Web3, I think you're totally right, Zach. Like We have to question, can Web3 hold this content? And do we want it to hold this content? There's tons of different initiatives out there to be able to build neutral networks for holding content. But then you just get back to the same problem, right? Like, are you going to be okay at the consequences of having a neutral network? So I think this is really a, a story that crypto participants should be watching this week. Something to pay attention to. Wendy, up to you. Well, I thought you were going to talk about Web5 because Web3 is like so outdated. Web5. No, but the I do think this story... Dead, isn't it? Who even... Like, honestly, we're in like this bear market thingy right now and everybody's just meh, whatever. The story goes back to operating in a true decentralized economy. Can humans actually operate in this economy? Because there's always going to be something we might not necessarily like, something that we don't want to see, something that we can argue that certain people from specific groups should not have a platform. But at the same time, if you're operating in a true decentralized economy, I don't get to tell you and you don't get to tell me. So I feel like we're going to see a lot of back and forth on this topic. And I don't ever think that they're going to come to an exact resolution, maybe in the next like decade or so, but I just don't think we're going to see one anytime soon because especially if we're operating in America and we take a look at the constitution, what exactly is entitled as free speech? Like what can you say and what can't you say without consequences or causing harm on other people? So it's going to be a hot topic. We're going to have to keep discussing it. And again, I don't think that humans can fully operate in a true decentralized economy. Anna, did you have any thoughts on this? Well, I think it's interesting that when you, for example, watch the whole discussion about Twitter, and, you know, censorship, non-censorship, uh, free speech on, on Twitter, which is, you know, again, crypto's favorite platform. You can see that pretty much the same group of people, you know, on, on one hand, we hate to be censored. On the other hand, we hate to see people saying things we don't like. So, you know, like many people would kind of prefer a benevolent censor who would, you know, like just uh, censor the way that doesn't hurt themselves. But I think if a big policy decision on the level of D.C. would be made to, you know, the platforms are liable for what people say online, that would lead to such an aggressive censorship on these online platforms. Because 
neither Twitter nor, nor YouTube want to be held accountable for whatever the hell you're saying about crypto, about other people, about uh, the whole nations and, and so on. And so I would expect the online censorship on this platform become just the next level. Like everybody would be surprised to see how much they need to hedge not to be just censored the hell out of, of the platform for saying something that would trigger some safety mechanism. Certainly a case to watch for Web 2 and Web 3 ramifications. We'll leave it there. That's it for the show today. I'm Zach. That's Will. Anna, thanks for being here. Wendy, as always, happy Taco Tuesday. That's it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye now. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.